How do you ace sales, even if you don't see yourself as a salesperson? Come on and let's find out. Welcome to the Get Out Your Way podcast. I'm your host, Osman Sharif from Rapid Transformation, and I'm here to help you get unstuck so you can rapidly grow your business. As a performance coach for small business owners, I know how vital it is for you to truly embrace entrepreneurship from the inside out, which includes transforming your mindset and using strategies that really work with your unique talents, skills, and entrepreneurial superpower. So are you ready to get out your way? Then let's get started. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode number 38. So you know that whenever I bring you into eavesdrop into a conversation or a chat that I'm having with a fellow business owner, I only bring in the best people. And this, of course, includes my very special guest for today's episode, the wonderful Jessica Lorimer, and affectionately known as Jess. Well, Jess came into my world only a few months ago, late last year, when I kept hearing her name pop up in lots of conversations with people that I trust and I respect. So when I was at Content Live, her name popped up lots. I was meant to be going to the Youpreneur Summit and I was excited to see her speak there. And then since then, I have been binge listening to her podcast, which is filled with ace tips around sales effectively because she is a sales coach. So today I know you're going to love the conversation that I have with Jess. You'll take lots of great actions and insights around mindset, there's strategy in there and also Jess's mum has got some great words of wisdom as well that she shared to Jess who shared with me and I'm now going to be sharing with you. And since finishing this episode, those words that come at the end of the episode, they have been playing in my mind, in a positive way, a lot. So be sure to stick all the way to the end for those extra bonus words of wisdom. As always, you'll find out all the resource links that we mentioned in this episode over at rapidtransformation.co.uk forward slash 37. But enough of me talking and let's get Jess in here now. Enjoy. So welcome to the podcast, finally, Jess. It feels like we've been connected for some time, although it kind of has been a one-way relationship as I've been listening to your podcast, as I've been traveling and in the car, hearing your name being bandied around by lots of my friends and peers that respect you and say, you need to have Jess on this podcast. So finally, we've made it happen. Well, I'm very excited to be here and I'm very grateful to all these people. <laughs> I don't know who they are, but I feel like I should be paying them and in some kind of gratitude, kind of chocolate way. <laughs> no, well, you'll be paying it forward to, to the listeners here, I'm sure. So what I love about hearing your story through your podcast and the journey so far is there's lots of parallels in terms of coming from the corporate world, getting out there, growing your own business. So if you can just take me and the listeners back. So imagine you're in a time machine and you're taking us back to the corporate world. Tell us what you were doing and how that's led to where you are and what you're doing just now. Yeah, of course. So back in 2014, I was at the peak of a really successful corporate career. I was working with luxury fashion brands across the world, setting up different sales divisions, monitoring sales teams and performance, and looking at new business development 
for some of the world's biggest and most expansive luxury fashion and lifestyle brands. It was all very exciting. I got to do lots of traveling. I was responsible for large amounts of sales being generated for some huge global names, which was very, very cool. And obviously the freebies were really good, which I feel is important to mention. And then I was diagnosed with ME, which is a chronic illness. And it's basically an umbrella of just really, really rubbish symptoms for things like chronic fatigue and autoimmune deficiencies. And it wasn't very nice. It was a bit of a rubbish point of time in that I was told by my doctor, if you don't sort it out, you'll be bedridden before you're 35. And that's kind of it. And so when I kind of questioned and said, what is it that I could do instead? They kind of said, well, you've got to quit your job. That's it. You can't keep working 78 hours a week. You can't keep up with the travel. And so I went into my boss and said, is it possible for me to work part-time? And they didn't quite laugh in my face, but it wasn't something that was well known at that point. You know, flexi working was not really a thing. And so I gave myself three months. I said, look, I'm going to hand in my notice. I'm going to work for a remaining three months and I'm going to figure out what I can do in the meantime. And as everyone does, I think, when they're trying to figure out what they want to do, they give it a Google. And I gave it a Google and I found a lot of people who had come from the industry that I was in and they were teaching entrepreneurs how to make more money in their business or how to set up businesses. And they were using the skills they'd learned in their corporate career to really enhance some of the skills for people who had perhaps not learned those, but had set up their own businesses and wanted to do it their own way. And so that's how I started out. And three months later, I had replaced my corporate income and I was fortunate enough to leave my job in the May of that year. And three and a half, four years later, we're here with a seven-figure business, working with entrepreneurs from around 17 different countries, teaching sales techniques and helping people implement sales processes that don't feel so easy and that help get them the best results and give their clients the best possible experience. So it's been a journey. (laughs) Definitely sounds like it. And I love the fact, so even before getting um, diagnosed with that, did you ever have any thoughts or inclination to get into the world of entrepreneurship yourself? The funny thing, people always assumed that I would have my own business, but I was very happy in my corporate career. And so for me, people would say, oh, you should go and set up your own business. And I'd be like, yeah, sure, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And just ignore it. So I think everybody else is probably a little bit more clued in than I was. And I'm not sure whether that says that I was some kind of rebel without cause or whether it was just the long term, I'd kind of already peaked at a young age. So I think people probably weren't sure where I was going to go next. And there was only ever sideways steps at that level until somebody else decided to leave their job, which probably wasn't going to happen for a very long time. I love the fact that we all have different experiences and that crunch point. And typically, it's on your case, it was something that made you go, right, hold on, I need to change something, especially around your health. So it could either be to avoid that pain point, particularly. In my case, it was more of the, the pleasure where I was loving what I was doing, but then I went on some training courses and it was all NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming based. And I thought, wow, imagine I got to do this forever. And I loved what I was doing in the corporate world, but it just felt, no, I need to make that change. So we all have different paths that can lead us to where we are right now. How did you find that transition initially coming from being that employee to then being your own boss? Any kind of memorable experiences or feelings? 
I think it was actually really hard. And I say this to my clients who come from the corporate world. It's actually harder when you leave your job than it is when you're still in your job and supplementing your business. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One is obviously if you've got a steady salary coming in, you worry less about the money that you're making. So actually what tends to happen is that it's easier for you to make money because you're less worried about it, which is always ironic. And then (laughs) I think one of the other things that was really difficult for me was the feeling of isolation. Working in corporate there is always somebody there and you can always go out for lunch with somebody. You can always talk over ideas and there's not quite this huge sense of responsibility. Even if you're responsible for large amounts of money or for high project deliverables, there's not the same sense of responsibility that there is as an entrepreneur when everything, every decision you make is on you and every decision you make directly impacts how well your business is going or not going. And I think that that kind of sense of isolation mixed with that sense of responsibility, it's really stressful. It's just stressful in a different way. You know, you're not necessarily working all the hours for somebody else anymore and and all that kind of thing. But you do have this kind of mind shift, I guess, of, oh my goodness, I'm now a fully grown adult. And that's terrifying. (laughs) I could totally relate to that. And it is funny because I still have lots of friends that are in the corporate world and they often go, oh, how lucky are you? And I go, yeah, I'm very grateful and I love what I do. But sometimes the grass looks greener on the other side. I remember the first few years looking back thinking, I do miss having the Christmas nights out, the team nights out, the coffee conversations and the water cooler conversations. Because when, like you've just say, when it's down to us, it is down to us. The successes and also those times where you think, why did I do that? Or what am I not doing? Or how am I getting in my way? And that's where it can be fun, but also challenging at times as well. Absolutely. I think it's interesting you mentioned people saying, oh, you're so lucky there. Because I think there is this tendency for people to say, no, you're so lucky you get to work from home. Or you're so lucky you don't have to have meetings at like 6.30 in the morning anymore. And I'm always saying to people, you know, A, it's not luck. And like, (laughs) I think every entrepreneur can agree. It's definitely not lucky. It's like consistent hard work over years and years usually of making it happen. And the other thing is, it comes down to what you want and what your definition of success is. I know that I couldn't go back into corporate now. I'd be basically unemployable because you're not allowed to turn up in your pajamas. But my definition of success is is still very similar. I still want to make a big impact with the work that I do. And I still want to get paid for that work. So I think it's interesting with how people or their perceptions of what your life looks like. Exactly. And that's where we have talked loads. And I know you have in your podcast about comparisonitis. And it's about making sure your goals are your goals and knowing what you're doing and why you're doing it as well. One big thing for me was about I love the corporate world because you had progression. It was a a work hard. That's the next level in that way. But when it comes to being your own boss, it's you get to decide what that next level is and what you want it to be. And I remember really earlier in my business, I kind of hit a lot of my goals quite quickly. And then I was like, what's now? It was as if I was waiting for someone to give me permission to go, right, you've achieved this level. Now this is your next hierarchical position. <laughs> and I realized, hold on, I didn't even know what was next. So I had to create what that was. And that's a big part of my value. So I'm always looking at, right, not always seeking something, but having that element of going, Am I making as much impact? What is next? Because otherwise I get quite bored. 
Yeah, I completely resonate with that. I think it's also quite hard as well to make the decision on what is next because I think sometimes, especially in the online space, you're exposed to so much. Whereas in the corporate world, it's kind of like, well, you're just going to go and do this. And then your next promotion opportunity is this. And in the online space, it's kind of like, oh, well, you could choose a new content medium entirely, or you could go out and choose a new social media platform or a new sales strategy or a new way of marketing. And I think people get quite caught up in that. Yeah. Totally. And that can then be about that analysis paralysis. It's like, a, what should I do? And you need to be really clear. And that's a key part where I find people getting in their way. It's about they don't have that clarity or they're not making those decisions. And sometimes it's that element of going, you get to make the decisions. And that's, that's a big mindset shift as well. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So I know you are all about sales and helping smart leaders sell more, which I love. When it comes to your philosophies and your experience in that, I'm obviously biased because I think mindset plays a huge part in getting in our way. What's your experience around mindset and the relationship with sales? So one of the things that I always have to clarify for people is I'd never heard of mindset before I started in my business. Like for me, mindset was something that I had purely had exposure to when I came online. And a lot of the stuff that I had exposure to was not great. You know, it's lots of people talking about chanting mantras and, and stuff like that, which as somebody who's very, very left brain, a type A was not something that I'd ever thought about. However, kind of four years later, when I look at sales now and some of the concepts that I teach, it is very relatable to some of the things that I think people struggle with mentally. So I think there are a few links that are important. One is obviously the feeling of being afraid about selling. A lot of people will often say, I have certain fears around selling and whether that's rejection or being embarrassed or failing or the fear of success. There's always this idea of fear that comes up as part of the mental game around sales. I think another one that, that is prevalent and used to be really prevalent in my corporate job and is hugely prevalent in the online space is when you stop making sales for a bit, I don't know whether anyone who's listening has ever experienced this, but even the most successful salesperson will go through dry patches where they just won't be able to make a deal for whatever reason, and they just can't close the client. And when that happens, they then get into this mind frame of, oh God, I've lost it. I've lost the magic skill that let me sell. And they will get into this vicious cycle of, I can't sell, therefore I don't sell, therefore I underperform. That's something I see a lot in the online space now where people are, perhaps they don't sign up a client that they really wanted. And then for weeks afterwards, they'll let that play into their sales strategy and, and how they feel about going out there and being visible again and trying to sign up other clients. Totally, totally agree. And therefore, it becomes that vicious cycle because even if they go, right, I'm going to use all my motivation or here's the best strategy that I'm going to use that worked in the past. If you're carrying those mindset blocks, particularly, it just slows you down or it makes it harder than it needs to be as well. So I do love the fact that I'm totally not woo-woo as well. Mindset is a part of it, but then it's about looking at the strategy, but also the design of what are your goals? What is your plan in that way? So all three areas, I call it the rapid transformation formula, your right design, your right mindsets, and your right strategies. That's what gets consistent results. But I do often see people going straight to the, what's the next strategy? Or is it Facebook? Is it this or that? But actually, when I'm coaching clients, it's going, what is stopping you in the first place? And often it comes down to, like you say, fear or a limiting belief or a past experience. And once you crack that, that's where I see real magic happening. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing because 
there's no one way yeah. <laughs> that works for everybody. And I think sometimes that people come to me and they go, oh, Jess, well, teach me, teach me the best sales strategy right now. And in all honesty, there isn't one. Like sales is a very easy thing. You only need eyeballs on offers that that person needs at that time. And you're fine. Like, and you can make money. So it's not inherently difficult. The thing that we make difficult is the amount of options that we give ourselves. And like you've just said, people often jump from strategy to strategy without really thinking about what the controllable factors are. And sometimes that controllable factor is going to be the way you feel about it. And if you really hate selling and it makes you feel scared or it makes you feel vulnerable or it brings up all these kind of past stories or beliefs for you, then of course you're not going to be somebody who wants to necessarily go out there and sell on a Facebook Live. That's not going to be your first point of call. But if you can overcome those things, and if you can at least understand why you feel that way and be able to tackle it head on, you might find that there's a different sales style that works for you that's better and that matches the kind of person that you are, the way that you like to show up in the world. I think it's less about picking the right social media platform these days, which seems to be a quite controversial opinion at the moment. But it's less about that. And it's more about how do you want to show up in the world? What kind of person are you? And what strategy can you create from that that is going to work for you? Totally agree. And I love the fact that it gives us that chance to think about what works for us. And also, and I see you talk about it a lot about sales can be fun. I do enjoy having conversations with individual business owners and obviously sometimes those conversations can lead to the I can help you with that I can help you grow your business I can help you get out your way but it's not the main thing it's not about get on a call let's let's sell you into something but what I realized was even a good few years ago I had kind of went to the other degree I kind of thought everything has to go really automated everything should be a sign up to this on my website watch these videos here's a buy now button and that's it but Talking about wealth dynamics, and I will dive into that in a moment, my personality is a trader profile, which is all about connection, which is all about loyalty, which is all about having that more intimate type of relationship with clients, which is why I prefer small mastermind groups, one-to-one clients. I still do speaker sessions and things like that, but that's not my main strategy. But when I took a step back, I thought, what am I doing during this kind of sales strategy? Am I giving people that chance to even have a conversation with me easily? And it wasn't. (laughs) So I kind of actually had to look and go, why am I doing it? And a lot of it was down to, well, that's what I'm seeing other people doing. And I had to basically get out my way to say, you can have a virtual cuppa with me. That's like a 10, 15 minute part where I actually enjoy it because I get to hear your experiences. You get to know the real me. We get to have a human to human conversation. And that's where I typically get better results. And again, I'm not saying that that works for everybody because for some personalities that might be like, oh, that drains the energy out of me, put me on a stage. And that's where they get their best results. So I love what you say. It's not a one size fits all approach. And we need to understand what is our personality? What's our superpower? And how does that kind of weave into what you do as well? Yeah, 100%. I think it's so important. I think especially in the digital age that we're in now, I think we are so overwhelmed. And I always say to my clients, it's it's like looking at the Chinese menu. Typically, if you go to a Chinese restaurant, they have the biggest menu, unless you go to Cheesecake Factory, which has like 150 options or something ridiculous. And you always end up having the exact same thing you've always had, but you will always spend at least 25 minutes looking at all the other things that you could pick and thinking, oh, maybe I'll go for that this time. 
and we end up not doing it. And it is this kind of thing online. I think sometimes it's so tempting to get caught up in the looking around at other strategies that we forget to actually do and we forget to take action. And then it doesn't matter what strategy you picked. You're always going to think, well, it didn't work. But actually the reality was we didn't action it in the first place. Totally. And it's, I think simplicity is really key. And that's where if we can look at what has worked in the past for us. And it's, I love what you say when the pressure's off as well. And that's where sometimes if it's you're not going, I need to make money for these particular bills that are going out or whatever that might be, then you're doing it in a bit more of a place of it's natural, it's effortless, it's a bit more fun. So I always say to people, look at times where it felt really natural for you, even if that's back in your corporate world and think, are you doing that type of thing in your business at the moment? And often it's not. They're kind of hiding them away or they're doing a different strategy that goes against their what's in flow for them as well. Yeah, I know. I completely agree. Completely agree. So I shared with you, because I do this with all my guests, I'm always curious to go, what is your superpower? And I use a wealth dynamics profiling um, test to help identify that. And you came through as a creator profile. So how does that resonate with you? I know it's only been quite recent since you found that out. What's your thoughts around that, Jess? So I really liked it. And I was saying to one of my friends actually last night when we talked about what I'd been up to yesterday when I took the test. And we were saying how I am somebody who's very difficult to personality profile because I like to perform. I like to perform well. So when I'm going through tests, generally what happens with me is I look for the best possible answer and I just pick that one. (laughs) Which means that it can be really difficult to accurately profile how I am. So often I get answers and I think, oh, it's not me at all. It's ridiculous. When really it's just type A personality coming through. So for me, the creative profile was incredibly relevant because I'm somebody who is great at being I want to say visionary, but that sounds really pretentious. (laughs) I get that though. And that's where a lot of creators are great at kind of having that big picture. Where can we go? And what's the vision of your business or even other people's businesses? They see things really clearly. Or why are you not doing this? (laughs) That's exactly it. And that is how I am. I'm incredibly good at seeing the big vision. I'm incredibly good at assessing the strategy. I'm really good at pointing other people in the right direction. What I'm terrible at is finishing boring projects. And I think things like my accountant, I drive him nuts because I'm just like, oh yeah, I started that. Like I started using that bit of software you told me to use. I just hate doing it every month. And so what I've done is built my team, luckily around my weaknesses, just that we've hired people in who can finish projects and who are much better at staying motivated throughout prolonged periods. So I think people who are defined by the wealth dynamics test as being supporters or mechanics, people who are a bit more able to take the long-term view of execution and implementation. Absolutely. And I think it's just great when you get curious around it. And we had a, a bit of a conversation before we hit record around even being a creator. So it's great when we know our personalities and our superpower, but also we get to go, how is this working in our business? So a typical creator loves lots of variety. They've got loads of things that constantly they're working on. Even if something's happened well, they go, right, cool, what's next? And you were saying that you've learned and to actually less is more often. Can you talk a bit more about that, please? Yeah, of course. So I think, and again, it's something that is particularly prevalent in the online space. We don't really see this in brick and mortar so much, which is interesting if we consider the majority of creators are people like Richard Branson and Bill Gates, who we automatically kind of think of as having lots and lots of projects on the go at once and creating lots of different things. However, the thing that's made them successful and one of the things that I credit to my business success is the fact that despite having 
lots and lots of ideas. It's about running with one and making it the most efficient and effective it can be and kind of stacking all the other ideas for later, which is something that I've gotten used to over the years. I have a little uh, notepad by my bed and every night if I've had like an idea or something that I want to do or anything like that, I write it in there and I just, I just keep it for later and, and keep it for a day where perhaps I'm not, not feeling as creative. And I think one of the things that we do see often when it comes to sales in the online space that people always say, sell something else, go and create another new course, go and create another new thing. And the reason that doesn't work is because you as one person, as a personal brand, you only have an audience that you currently have, right? You don't get more people every single time you launch a new offer. So what ends up happening if you go and create a new offer every single week is that you A, exhaust your current audience really, really quickly and they can't keep up with all the things that you're trying to teach them and trying to do. But also you position yourself as not being an expert, not being an authority in your industry. And that's really damaging, right? Because if we're always selling things that are different every time, what happens is people kind of go, oh, well, I'd rather have the specialist. Yeah, yeah. Totally you never want the generalist to solve your problems. You never want the general surgeon to kind of solve your heart problem and do your laser eye surgery and give you a little bit of a kind of counseling session. You want the right person for everything. And I think that's one of the things that as a creator, I've had to manage over the years is not just going off on that tangent and doing whatever I want at any given time. Absolutely. And it's about thinking like a business owner. I've got a great business owner that's in my 90 day mastermind group. And we're actually only into week number two. And she's smashing her goals. And a big part of that was she's focusing on one thing. And I always say to my clients that are creators going, don't try and think about your business and what you're doing right now is what you're going to end up necessarily be doing in five years time. Because the reality is it will look slightly different. You'll have lots of ideas and iterations on the way and that's okay. But instead of you trying to, like you've just said, reinventing the wheel or trying to run after five different things in the short term, you're not going to get anywhere. So having that bit of a mindset of you can be creative in what you're doing as long as it's focused, (laughs) especially during that period of time. And then knowing that you're not just necessarily locking yourself into something for forever, because that can sometimes for some creators that I know be overwhelming, like, "Uh oh, I've got no choice. I love what you say. You capture the ideas, but you focus on what's right for you, your business and your customers on that journey. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's, it's so funny because I, um, I have a high-level mastermind group that I work with for a year and we call it the power of one mastermind. And so when they come in, we take everything, we strip it all back and we go, okay, so what one content platform are you going to use this year and what social media platform are you going to focus on and what idea are you really going to take and make the best it very can be? And I think that everybody needs to do that. You can be as creative as you like, but I think we tend to, and certainly as somebody who is now a creator in definition, I think what happens is that people assume that creating is always about creating something that's new rather than being creative around the problems that you're solving or being creative around a new process or setting something up to be more effective. And I think perhaps if we looked at it like that, it'd be a lot easier to stay on track with one thing at a time. Totally. And I love the fact that even before you did the test, and as I said, I listened to your podcast and you said that you were going to be upping it to three episodes a week. And at that point, I was just like, she is definitely up there in terms of the top of the square. So I was thinking, is she a creator? Is she a star? But what I loved is that 
all the topics that you talk about, they're still focused on what your area of expertise is, but every episode, it gives you a chance to put your creative ideas and your thoughts in there, whereas I'm the complete opposite profile. So even for me, if I was to go, right, I'm going to do three episodes a week, that actually would be pretty overwhelming for me because we're just a different personality. So the reason why I say this is I think this relates into business overall, but also relates into sales so that you can look at the, are you, like I've had people before that are a Lord profile and they are saying, right, I need to be doing Facebook lives every single day. And they, they're petrified of it. So there's a confidence element, but also there's a part of that's just not necessarily the natural strategy for you. So why make life harder than it needs to be? Let's look at the right way for you. So if you're intrigued to find out, well, what are these two people talking about? (laughs) All these (laughs) acronyms and you're thinking, what is my superpower? Absolutely, it's a cornerstone of everything I do. I only work with my clients once I know what their superpower is or the Wealth Dynamics profile and even in my 90-day mastermind. So if you're curious to find out what your superpower is, you can find out more in the show notes at rapidtransformation.co.uk forward slash 38. So let's move on to more of the sales part before we kind of wrap up. I know your time is um, precious. I love the fact that you talk a lot about sales calls and discovery calls. And that's, again, something I see some people shying away from in selling. What's your view on sales calls and how do you make life easier for you and your prospects when it comes to sales or discovery calls, Jess? So I think that's a really great question because usually people are just like, how do you run one? And there are there is a particular structure that will make your life a lot easier. But I think sales calls inherently make life easier for you once you get the hang of them. And I think walking in and expecting to be amazing at them first off puts a lot of pressure on people. I'm somebody who did cold calling for five years. <laughs> it would be a little bit weird if I wasn't good at it by now. But equally, it means that I've kind of got used to everything that could possibly happen when you've had the phone hung up on you and all that kind of stuff. You don't really worry about it anymore. So I think sales calls are great for high ticket offers. And everyone has their own definition of high ticket. But if you are selling what I would define as being a high touch, high transformation program or service, then a sales call is going to be the easiest way for you to sell it, regardless of whether or not you think that you particularly enjoy sales calls or anything like that. And in all honesty, sales calls, the most important thing is transparency. So what I always say to people is the easiest way, if you don't think you're good at sales calls or if you're not confident running a sales call, is to be really transparent throughout the process. Because a lot of the time when we are not confident about running a sales call, it's because we're constantly thinking about what's coming next. What question can I ask that's going to make them want to buy? How can I trample that objection so that they give me the money? And that's not really how a sales conversation works. A sales conversation is designed to be a decision maker and it's designed to help your prospect get to the point where they make a decision. Are they a yes? Are they a no? Either way, it doesn't matter. You can't be attached to that particular outcome, but your job is to get them to be a yes or a no and not leave still being in a gray area or still being a maybe. And one of the ways that you can do that is to set an effective agenda. I love what you said earlier about you do these cuppa chats, right? No, 15 minute chats. Well, I think a lot of people in the online space, they used to do that, but secretly they were sales calls. And so it's made a lot of people quite wary of taking them up. And it's made people wary about promoting their discovery call sessions because they think, oh, how can I possibly turn it into a sales call at the end? How does that work? And the reality is a sales conversation, people should know when they're signing up for that call that they are going to have a conversation about how they're going to look at making a certain change or transformation in their life. So you might have a questionnaire 
like I do that lets people know that there'll be key questions I'll need to answer. So things like, what does your business do? What do you currently struggle with? Asking questions about whether or not they're ready to invest in solutions to help them move forward yet. And then the next thing that you can do that's a really good indicator of that transparency piece is to set an agenda on the call and just be really open. Hey, look, today I'm going to ask you some questions about your goals and where you'd like to be. And then what we're going to do is talk about the obstacles or challenges that you feel are facing you and stopping you getting there. And then finally, if it feels right and only if it feels right, I'm going to tell you how we can potentially work together in the future to help you get to your goal. How does that sound? Right? Super transparent. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. And it just means it's easy for you. And you're not then thinking, how do I weave that into the conversation? Or And that's what I used to honestly struggle with, especially when trying to sell from the stage where you got to that point where you're going, right, it's the pitch part. <laughs> it just didn't work for me in that way. And even people that knew me, they'd say, you can sense when that was coming because your energy would change. And that's where I'd go, why am I trying to do it that way? Instead of just opening the door and saying, obviously, if there is a potential offer, whether it's I find out your profile with Wealth Dynamics or actually book in for a virtual cuppa. If what I've said resonates and you want to find out more and you think we could be a good fit, that actually gets better results for me. So it's being transparent in that way. I love that. And I think that is the thing for most people. When we feel like we're trying to hide something, when we feel like we're trying to almost hide the fact that we're selling to people, it is really uncomfortable. There's no getting around it. If you have a conversation that starts out with, oh, you've got a dog and I've got a dog and oh, by the way, do you also want to buy my thing? It's naturally uncomfortable and it throws the other person out of their normal train of thought. And also it makes people concerned. You know, if you're worried about broaching the sale with somebody, they're worried because you shouldn't be worried about your own product or service and you shouldn't be worried about talking about it. And if you are, then they feel like something is off. It's the same as when anyone tries to sell things with about 50 different bonuses. That drives me crazy. I'm like, if your program is great and it gets the result that you're promising, you don't need to back it up with tens of thousands of bonuses. You just need to stand solid in the offer and be really transparent about what is actually going to be achievable and what results people can get. And then they're going to want it regardless. Totally agree. And therefore, it then means that often, how many times have I bought things and I think about it, the bonuses, you go, oh, but you don't actually use them because it's, that's not what you're actually wanting. That's not what the challenge or the opportunity is that you're trying to solve in that way. No, and the thing is, like I say, nobody ever uses the bonuses. And if you buy a program based on the bonuses that come with it, do you really need the program? That's, that's <laughs> always the concern. <laughs> Definitely. And I love even just the mindset part. And again, the language that we use. So even for me, it's just a mental shift. I don't ever think about them as being like sales calls because that then makes me think about, oh, I need to try and sell them into something. And I remember before going on a training course years ago, and it was always that whole always be closing. And I hated even that mindset. And one of my mentors years ago, she helped me see it differently. So instead of, and I always share this with my clients is, instead of trying to think, I need to try and close the sale, which is a common term used, I will think about it from what she said was, how do you open the door, right? So it's like, you know, we're having a conversation, then you can say, well, the door's open now, if you want to have that conversation around us working together or taking that next step. And when they then walk through and go, yeah, absolutely, how do I? It's a completely different feeling. It's like a permission based in that way. And it's not like you're trying to force them into something, which is where I think it's sleazy and doesn't typically work for many people, business owner themselves and the person on the other end of it. Yeah, absolutely. Ultimately, as with anything, you have to do what works for you. 
And so I think the key thing to always remember with anything to do with sales is that sales is all about decisions. And your job at every point in the sales process is to help somebody make the next decision. So whether that's to walk through the door or whether it's to buy the program or whether it's to go off and actually complete other work before they come back and work with you, it doesn't matter. It's about how can I help that person make the best decision for them right now in the present time. And then as they come back, how can I make them feel like they can make that next best decision? Absolutely. Anyone you think about it that way, it has a different feeling attached to it and a different energy rather than thinking about sales. So I love that those words of wisdom there, Jess, which is always fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) I try. (laughs) And I love the one thing that always that sticks to my mind as we start to wrap up is I love the way that you're so vocal about, and we touched on it before, but doing it your way and not always being the same. So whenever I now see a photograph of anybody by the Eiffel Tower, (laughs) even if it is uh, they're on their holiday and they're just taking a, a personal photo and it's on Facebook or something, I always think about you. So what do you mean by that? Just for those that haven't had those words of wisdom. Do you know, it's so funny because me and my boyfriend tried to take an ironic selfie at the Eiffel Tower (laughs) purely because of this. And it took us 16 goes to get one where like neither of us were blinking and all that kind of stuff. So for me, the Eiffel Tower is particularly symbolic of the boom, I think, in the coaching industry. And a few years ago, when I started out, it was normal for everybody to have a branding shoot. And this branding shoot always took place in front of the Eiffel Tower. And it was all these, what I call baby business coaches, right? They were all there and they were like, I'm going to teach people how to set up businesses. And they'd never had businesses before. And so they would go, they would have their photo taken in front of the Eiffel Tower, and then they would bash out this cookie cutter process to the market. And so week one would always be your ideal client. And week two would be branding. And week three would be your website and all this kind of stuff. And it was so cookie cutter that at first it worked and it it bred this whole generation of business owners that felt like there was only one way to do business. And over time, that's obviously been proven. It doesn't work because once something becomes cookie cutter, it has effectively stopped working. It's become the norm and therefore it doesn't innovate, it doesn't change. So yeah, the Eiffel Tower holds mixed emotions for me. (laughs) Definitely. And it is that element of going, just do it your way. And I think that that is all in all parts of business, but also really about sales and choosing what actually works for you. And I think I'm always banging on about that, but also reminding myself of that as well. I think I talked about that on a previous episode where I was thinking about what's my goals for this year. And one of my good friends was like, is that really your goal? And I actually had to take a step back and go, is that really my goal? Why am I choosing that? (laughs) Because we can be so influenced by what we see and what we think we should do in that way. So we could obviously talk for hours and hours and um, about sales and life and business in that way. What exciting things do you have coming up in your world, Jess? I love it when people ask me questions that I'm like, well, I sit at home most days with a dog, so not a lot really. So exciting things to me coming up. We are just about to go into another launch of my signature program, which is called Cash Creation, which is for people who want to generate immediate revenue using the audience that they have, regardless of its size, without paid advertising. So we're about to do that. And then I am heading off to do a few speaking engagements. I'm off to speak next and in Brighton for the Coffee with Dan extravaganza. And I'm off in uh, a couple of months to speak at some more industry events, which I'm very excited about. What's going on? 
Perfect. I was gutted. Um, I was looking forward to meeting you and seeing you talk at the Youpreneur Summit last year. But a little, as my listeners know, a little trampoline incident um, scuppered that plan. Um, so I was really excited when the replays came out for them inside the membership community. And I got to I actually listen to that episode whilst I was in the hospital gym doing oh, my nice. physio, whilst I was doing my physio exercises. And I remember at one point the physio came over and was just like, are you all right? And I'm like, yeah, they're like, oh, it's just, you've stopped doing what you're doing. I'm like, oh no, it's just, Jess just made a really good point. <laughs> <laughs> and they just thought, he's a bit mad in that way. I always do that. I always laugh to podcast when I'm out walking the dog. So I'll be out there just laughing to myself. And I think my neighbours are sort of like, what's wrong with her? <laughs> I'm very glad that you enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm also very glad that it didn't screw up your physio. <laughs> that would have been awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So I'll obviously put it into the show notes, but where is the best place for people to find you, to see what you're all about and to connect with you, Jess? Yeah, so probably the best place is actually if you're a poddy, if you're a podcast listener, is to head over to the Smart Leader Cell podcast over on whatever podcast player you prefer. I'm a Podbean fan, but some people apparently are iTunes. The majority apparently are iTunes now. And you can hear all about what's going on in the sales world, grab yourself some sales tips and get directed to anything else you need from there. Perfect. I will put that into the show notes. And finally, to wrap up, so if you have somebody that's sitting in front of you and especially around sales, that they're struggling with or they're making it harder than it needs to be and you just want to give them a shake and say come on get out your way what advice would you give them nobody can do it for you and I remember when I was really struggling to build my business when I was going through a really difficult time I called my mum and I moaned about it and she said what makes you so special that you can't do it and that has stuck with me through everything right and so whenever anyone asks me I'm always like What's so special that you can't do it? Because the reality is everyone is the same. Everyone has the same amount of time, the same amount of energy. And if you really think about leveraging your strengths and looking at where you excel and using that to tell yourself to succeed, it becomes a lot easier. Perfect, perfect way to wrap up. And mums always tend to have the right thing to say, don't you think? I know. And the good thing is we don't actually have to pay them for that advice as well, often. <laughs> Perfect. So it's been a real pleasure to to have this conversation with you. I know it will be really valuable for all the listeners as well. So thank you for your time. I'll put all the links in the show notes at rapidtransformation.co.uk forward slash 38. And I look forward to many more conversations, Jess, and journeys whilst I'm busy out there doing my physio exercises, driving and all manners of places as well. <laughs> I can't wait. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so interesting. My pleasure. Thank you. If you feel like you're still just scratching the surface and growing your business, and even with all the action that you're taking, you still regularly feel stuck or frustrated, then the chances are you're hitting one of the three business growth blocks that many entrepreneurs and business owners face. But don't worry, you can rapidly transform that from today. Simply start by taking my free business growth block quiz to see if your design, mindset and strategies are currently working for you or against you. Your results will help you put your finger on the elements that need your immediate focus. Plus, you'll also get access to a short video series with lots of practical ways to either fine-tune or overhaul each of these essential foundations. Take the free quiz now over at rapidtransformation.co.uk slash quiz.